If you've got your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. It'll take me a few minutes, but I will get there. Galatians 5. I believe we're all born with a God-given desire to live loved. And only a personal relationship with God can fully satisfy that desire. A lot of times we try to fill it with a lot of other things. But that God-given desire to live loved can only be satisfied in a relationship with God. I also think that we have a God-given need to live led. And because of that, we are all living led by something or someone all the time. Before the creation of the world, God chose every person on the planet. Before the creation of the world, every person on the planet chosen to live led by him. And there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But until that day, we all get to choose our response to God. When we surrender the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, God gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the indwelling, empowering presence of God who enables us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do. And after that first yes, we live with a calling and an open invitation from God himself to go ahead, make my day. And live each day led by the Holy Spirit. Living led by the Spirit involves learning how to live and move and have our being infused with the fruit of the Spirit. As well as actively learning better and more consistent ways to release the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives. Living led by the Spirit also involves repeatedly surrendering our bent for independence. While at the same time, faithfully cultivating our willingness to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Although our minds often throw up some flack and resistance in both of these areas, I really believe that the truth is living led by the Spirit. It is the most rational choice we could ever make. What other way to live is more beneficial than living filled to overflowing with the comforter, the counselor, the encourager, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? Why would any rational person default to just doing what's right in our own eyes when we have direct access to the best ever personal navigation system whose directions come straight from Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Why would someone choose to follow a dead deity in a religion that includes forced compliance to a superabundance of man-made rules and regulations when the option of following the living God is available? In every lifestyle, choices in faith are involved. Even atheists make faith choices. They just put their faith in themselves. But come on, no other lifestyle compares to placing our trust and our faith in the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The creator of all became the created. And not only that, Jesus came and offered himself as the once for all sacrifice for sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascended to the Father, where even now he ever lives to intercede for us. No one and nothing else to put our faith in offers anything close to trusting God and being in a living, active, ongoing, personal relationship of dialogue and discovery with him and with the Holy Spirit there to help us, guide us into all truth. Every disciple follower of Jesus is intended 
to have an experiential journey of growth as we progress from faith to faith through whatever comes our way. The journey goes all the way until we become what Ephesians 4 describes as mature, attaining the whole measure and the full dimensions of the fullness of Christ. Now, some of us in this room have walked with the Lord a long time, and some of us are just getting started. But here's what I know about that maturity and the fullness of Christ. We've all got a long way to go. And so let's stay after it. Let's stay after it. Because every day we wake up, we have a fresh new opportunity to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Our life goal should be to become fully developed within and without as we live each day fully alive in relationship with God. Part of that involves choosing to live in ways that are consistent with our callings as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. And as skilled servants of the Lord who are efficient and spirit-led in our partnership with God in the good works that he prepares in advance for us to do every day with him. The Christian lifestyle is not a formula to follow. Instead, it's rooted in learning how to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Just work on those three. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And to live in God's will like that, we need a continued willingness to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Listen, we can't let ourselves settle for what we know right now. We can't let ourselves settle for, well, that's the way we've always done it. We can't let ourselves settle for a mindless autopilot survival mode till Jesus comes back. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts and his ways are much higher than ours. My favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 2 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But that's not where the verse ends. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The only way we can stay connected to the thoughts and ways of God is through the Holy Spirit. And that connection is a supernatural part of living led. Now, I find it fascinating and so merciful that God is more committed to the process than we are. And he doesn't even hold our weaknesses against us. Amazingly, the Holy Spirit doesn't require our direct acknowledgement in order to bring his revelation into our lives. If he required our direct acknowledgement before he'd bring his revelation into our lives, none of us would have ever gotten saved because he was looking for us before we were ever looking for him. He knew our name before we ever knew his name. He knew all our days before we were figuring out what was going on and he had a call on our lives. And before we were ever seeking after him, he sought after us. He is who he is and he does what he does, whether we have ears to hear and eyes to see or not. And even when we're closed off and not listening or looking, the Holy Spirit still finds amazing, creative, brilliant ways to engage in every part of our everyday lives. However, when we open ourselves up and we actively live in a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, so much better. We get to experience the benefits of the deeper flow of all the wisdom that he has, of the insights that he has into everything that's going on around us not just the things we count as spiritual. He has insights and thoughts about everything that's going on. And he also has very practical knowledge and instruction that he's glad to give to us if we just tune in 
and live in relationship with us. As he works in us and with us, he transforms us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit also loves to clean us up and make out with the old, in with the new exchanges. I remember hearing Graham Cook say, life is all about what we learn and what we need to unlearn. Life is all about what we learn and what we need to unlearn. He said, the ability to unlearn something makes room for new things to be learned. The ability to unlearn something makes room for new things to be learned. And then he said, the failure to unlearn creates an inability to grow and prosper. Life's all about what we learn and what we need to unlearn. One of the major hindrances to unlearning is pride. Another one is rights, our rights. In order to live by the Spirit as well as led by the Spirit over and over again, we will have to lay down our rights, our right to know why, our right to understand now, our right to get what we want when we want it, our right to see God do what we believe he should be doing. In the shack, one of the many thought-provoking conversations contained this key idea about rights. Rights are where survivors go so they won't have to work out relationship with the living God. Rights are where survivors go so they won't have to work out relationship with the living God. We're called to be so much more than survivors. But only when we choose to lay down our rights do we get positioned to become overcomers and more than conquerors. Only as we choose to lay down our rights do we get access to the full experience of the height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love. Clinging to and demanding our rights feeds the desires of the sinful nature. And that keeps giving life to something that's supposed to be dead. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We really need to settle it within ourselves. Do we belong to Jesus? If we do, then the passions and desires of our sinful nature are supposed to be dead. Some of us are still too alive for our own good. The message says, among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. In Greek, Paul used a past tense action word for crucified. His original readers would have understood crucified as to have already extinguished and subdued the passions and selfishness of the sinful nature. Past tense, already done. We still have the capacity to sin, but we have been set free from sin's power over us and no longer do we have to give in to it. Here's how Paul wrote about that in Romans 5 and 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We absolutely know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died 
has been freed from sin. The death Jesus died to sin, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Instead, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Earlier in Galatians, in chapter 2, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's say that together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One more time. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, thank you, Lord. That's a good one to remember right there. That's a good one to get locked in and just be able to quote it again and again and again. The life of Jesus within us is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And here's another cool thing about the fruit of the Spirit. Every expression of it is loaded with exponential growth potential. As we practice love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we practice those, and as those traits reflect more and more in our character and in our actions then our passions and our desires get upgraded and conform more and more into the image of Christ. And as that happens, much more instinctively, we find ourselves living led by the Spirit rather than giving in to the ways and the patterns of the flesh. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love that Paul wrote, since we live by the Spirit, not if we live by the Spirit. He gave the believers in Galatians and us the benefit of the doubt. And once again, Paul articulated and called them and us to a level of submission that is intended to affect not only every aspect of our life, but in a very real way, every step that we take. Keeping step with the Spirit is a phrase used a handful of times in the New Testament. In Acts 21, it's living in obedience. In Romans 4, it's walk in the footsteps of faith. In Philippians 3, it's live up to what we've already attained. Keep in step is walk. In the New King James Version, the Amplified, it's follow. In the New Living Translation, in the New American Standard. In Greek, it's stoicheo, which literally means to walk in a straight line. It's a picture of a military march in rank and file. But it's not just used for military formations. It's also used for dancing. And in both cases... This keep in step has individual and corporate applications. On an individual basis, it's interesting to note that a significant part of most military basic training involves learning to march, learning to march. How many in here have served in the military, had a spouse or family member serve in the military? 
Just want to say a couple days after Veterans Day, thank you for your service. Freedom is never free. Freedom is never free. And we appreciate the price that each of you paid uh, to put your lives out there for us. Marching teaches a new soldier how to be part of a unit. Marching instills some necessary and essential disciplines related to submission that are built around the willingness to be ordered and led, as well as the importance of unity when uh, moving as a part of the group. And with that in mind, just a quick thought. If we perceive ourselves to be a spirit-filled believer, but we keep finding ourselves out of step with other spirit-filled believers, maybe it's time to do some serious and honest reevaluations because we may not be living as spirit-filled as we suppose. Related to the dancing part, many times God puts things on display in the natural that are a reflection of things in the spirit. And today there's a wide variety of dance styles, ballroom, Latin, contemporary, jazz, hip-hop, freestyle, etc. And keeping in step with the spirit is equally diverse. Sometimes it's very structured. Sometimes it's very passionate. Sometimes it can be so expressive and energetic. Sometimes it can even be dramatic. In order for a person to be a good dancer, they have to learn things about good posture, and timing, as well as specific steps and holds. And it's also pretty helpful to have some rhythm and musicality. Well, though I've been blessed with a measure of musicality, I have been pretty much rhythmically challenged my whole life, especially when it comes to dancing. Now, at one point, at one point, I actually got pretty proficient at the charismatic hop. I could hop with the best of them. <laughs> Jumped for quite a while. I used to lead worship before I could play the piano and lead worship. I had a microphone and and I, I was leaded. I'd go all over the stage. I'd spin around in a circle with a wired microphone. Then I'd spin back the other way. You know, I was, I was pretty good at the charismatic. But real dancing? No, no. Ne never have got there yet. Not yet. Uh, now, Cindy and I do enjoy watching uh, shows like So You Think You Can Dance. And we used to watch uh, uh, Dancing with the Stars in the past. I, I love watching gifted dancers. And I love watching how a gifted dancer can coach up another good dancer, as well as a rhythmically challenged person. And in both cases, the dancers who break through are the teachable and vulnerable ones who let their guard down and decide to press past their comfort zones. They also choose to put in hours and hours of practice. And I believe keeping in step with the spirit requires all of that. In humility, we have to choose to submit to the coaching of the Holy Spirit and other people. We have to do the hard work. We have to choose to learn some new steps. In order to get a fuller expression of the dance called living led by the Spirit, we have to get beyond ourselves. And all along that journey, the Holy Spirit knows just how hard to and when to push us. And beyond that, he also empowers and encourages us to keep doing the work that'll lead to the breakthroughs we need to live our lives to the fullest. Now, corporately, keeping in step with the Spirit is equally hard, and it only happens with intentionality and a strong sense of purpose and a lot of practice. We got any Aggies in the room this morning? There you go. I said that last night, and nobody whooped one time. Come on, Aggies. Whoop, whoop. There you go. I was a Baylor bear, but I love that whooping of the Aggies. That's pretty cool. Uh, if you're not an Aggie, have you ever seen the halftime show of the Corps of Cadets? It is really, really something to behold. And listen, all of creation is yearning to see the sons and daughters of God moving like that together as one. It's noteworthy that Paul used stokeo in the present tense because that points to what should be a continual and habitual action.
To live in line with, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit and with other people is our continual need. Now, sadly, in order to live like this, there are probably some things that we have to unlearn about church and maybe even spirit-filled living. Sometimes in reaction to what can be uh, seem like harsh, restrictive lines of more traditional expressions of Christianity, we can swing all the way to the other side of the pendulum. And that kind of reaction can... Um, lead to a disconnected fly by the seat of our pants, do whatever seems right to us, woo-woo way of expressing our faith, which is a miss. It's not biblical either. It's actually another form of selfishness not too far removed from narcissism, and it's a clear expression of our old nature masquerading as religiosity. It's spiritually dangerous to choose to march to our own beat, and it's equally dangerous to refuse to learn how to move in unity with other believers. And none of us can afford to resist the Bible-based, disciplined side of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's sad how undervalued, undertaught, and underpracticed keeping in step with the Spirit is among born-again believers. Jesus clearly taught God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. A true lifestyle of worship requires the balance and the tension of living in the Spirit and in truth. And we can only do that when we're living led. Living led individually and living led as part of a group. Figuratively, stoicheo means to behave properly, to conform to virtue and piety of the one considered to be the standard. Jesus is the standard. He showed how life, how human life can be lived. How, how a human can live in submission to the Father every day of life. He showed how to do that. The Holy Spirit reveals how to live by that standard that Jesus set as he opens up our hearts to properly understand and apply God's written words as well as the rhema words that he gives to us. To walk out our faith in a manner that's worthy of the calling we've received, we really need to ask the Lord to restore first love in our hearts for living led by and in step with the Holy Spirit. At its core, keeping in step with the Spirit it's just one more demonstration of not my will, but yours be done. It calls us to a ready willingness to surrender the me first primacy of our individuality in order to learn how to move as one with the Holy Spirit as well as part of the body of Christ. Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Wait. Wait, what? Uh, People living led by and in step with the Holy Spirit aren't automatically immune from getting caught up in putting too much importance upon the approval of other people? Evidently not. And if we let that pursuit rise to the level of self-conceited, competitive, challenging, irritating jealousy of one another, then we've fallen back to being led by the desires of the sinful nature. And about that, here's a thought. The doorway into conceited, provoking, and envying is the result of a flawed perspective of ourselves. Listen to verse 25 and 26 from the message. Since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or as a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us was better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. When we're living led, God will reveal our originality to us, while at the same time 
helping us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. By his design and grace, we've been given different mixtures of giftings and talents, but across the board, God has given each one of us, without exception, everything that we need for life and godliness. We can unlock and activate everything we need when we're living led by and in step with the Spirit. As always, we get to choose. But living led by and in step with the Spirit really is the most rational response to a God who has called us by his own glory and goodness so we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desire. Early in his second letter, Peter wrote, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the things that uh, you've already done in our lives, for the places you took us in worship today, the things you stirred in our heart, for the word that Lisa shared, the way you just love us and redeem, and anything that can be redeemed, you can redeem it. We thank you for that. Thank you for these three verses, Lord, just three verses, but so full of life and so, thing, so full of things for us to consider and to be and to do. And, and Lord, I just pray that we would keep letting our old self stay dead. We wouldn't feed it. We wouldn't drift back into it, but we'd let it be dead, laid out, crucified, finished, subdued, that we live in the freedom from sin that you've created for us to live in, that we would live in the freedom of in step with you. When you're marching, we're marching. When you're dancing, you're dancing. When you're running, you're running. When you're walking, we're walking. When you're standing, we're standing. In step with you. That, that's our privilege. That's our opportunity. That's your heart for us, every one of us to know. We say yes to that, Lord. Yes. And guard us from comparing with other folks. No, our eyes are on you. We, we live for an audience of one. Help us fix our eyes on you and live in ways that bring honor and glory to your name because you are worthy of a people who will live like that. And we want to be some of them. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right.